Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. What's up? How are we? Are we good? Happy 4th of July weekend. I hope you find yourself doing something fun, having a good time this weekend, celebrating our country that we get to live in. And uh, man, I'm excited to jump into the series that we've been doing for the last few weeks that we are calling Summer in the Psalms. We'll be in this series all the way until Labor Day. And so if you have your Bible, we are going to be in the most well-known Psalm, maybe one of the most well-known passages of all of Scripture, Psalm 23. So go ahead and open up your Bible if you have it with you. Uh, Man, it's going to be a good, good morning. As the Lord would plan it, probably not as I would plan it, um, because He's way smarter than me. Inadvertently, though, this is probably the perfect Psalm to follow up a a passage where we just talk about God's awe. And we, we, we try to explain and articulate this reverential wonder that we all feel when we experience or encounter something that is way bigger than our comprehension can possibly grasp. Right? We, we, we come to Psalm 19 and we look at how God has placed the heavens in the sky. He's, he's mapped out a course for the sun. He's just opened his mouth and creation has fallen out. And we, just, we get to experience and feel this sense of transcendence that God has. He's so mighty. He's so vast. He's so powerful. He's so awesome. And this week what we're going to talk about is how God is my shepherd. See, King David probably writes the 23rd Psalm sometime later in his life. And he writes this Psalm that honestly, it's one of those, every single funeral I go to, I, I, I didn't review my notes, but I don't know that I have done one single funeral where I haven't sat down with a grieving family, a family who's in the middle of planning and articulating all sorts of details that they weren't ready to set in place yet. And I always ask the family, are there any scriptures that would have been important to this person or that's important to your family to read? And every time, can you read Psalm 23? Can you just draw us into Psalm 23? See, there's a reason. It's because it's so personable. It's, it has so much uh, direction for us to place our grief, for us to place our frailty as humans, because we're not just crying out to some transcendent, big, awesome, wonderful, mighty God. We're crying out to my shepherd, my God, the one who leads me to the path of everlasting and abundant life. And so what I want to do just to start this morning is I want, to, I want to read for us Psalm 23. I'm going to read through it one time, just slowly over us. If you want to, if you, maybe you have this memorized and you want to just read along with me, that would be totally fine. But I'd love to, we're going to be in the ESV. So I don't know how that uh, handles your New King James. If you have some thouist, thouist, theist, whatever, um, memorized. I know just that's how you've committed it to memory and that's good. But I'm going to read it in the ESV for us today. So Psalm 23, verse 1. If, you, if you're maybe not so familiar with it, I, I'd even maybe encourage you, just close your eyes, listen, listen with an engaged mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me in all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. This is this is one of those passages. It is one even even people who aren't familiar with or aren't 
aren't around Christianity that often know about the 23rd Psalm. They can almost snap into, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want, I lack nothing. They, people know this. And the reason is because is it gives us a direction for our trust. If we talked back all the way to week one, I thought Caden, what he set up so well when we come to the Psalms is that the Psalms give us direction and permission to experience all of the emotions that the human heart is capable of feeling, but it gives us direction on where to send those emotions. And the, the, the emotion that I think so many of us feel in today's day and age that Psalm 23 gives allowance to and direction for is skepticism. I don't know if you think of skepticism as an emotion, but it's that just genuine feeling of distrust. How many of y'all can say I've experienced skepticism recently? Hold on, let's try this again. How many of y'all completely trust our government? <laughs> oh, we're giggling now, huh? How many of y'all just completely trust the school system to do everything right for your kids? How many of y'all completely trust yourself to lead you in the direction that you should go? For your, how many of you know the path of righteousness and you can, you can lead yourself down it? How many of y'all trust pastors completely? See, there's a specific kind of pain that comes from a spiritual pain when a pastor or someone that you voluntarily put your trust into and they let you down or they failed you. Our world today is so filled with skepticism, whether we would like to admit it or not. I think, you know, I didn't do all the research. I didn't necessarily try to pull all the numbers from Barna, but how many of you would just say, yeah, we probably trust the medical system as well as we did in 2019, today, in 2023? No way. No way. Conspiracy theories, like I, I, I thought about pulling this clip, but it has inappropriate language on it, so I did not. But you, you see the stand-up comedian who's like, man, you're telling me you don't believe in any conspiracy theories? He's like, I get it if, if you don't believe all of them, but you don't believe any of them? Is that not just the cultural tone of America today? Somebody's lying to me. It's probably the government. I don't trust them. I don't trust them. And what, what then are we surrendered to as we draw that conclusion that there's no one to trust out there? So what do we, what do we too often surrender to? Well, I'm just going to have to trust myself. And there's an element of that. There's an element of that where we just go, okay, I, I, I'm going to do my own research before I take my kids to the doctor. I'm going to do my own research into seeing what this school board believes before I just send my kids to school. And I'm not saying that we should abdicate that personal responsibility, but I am saying that if we are left only to trust ourselves, you and I are, let's put it real gently this morning, we are in trouble, right? We are in big trouble if we only trust ourselves because I know how far I can take me and it ain't that far. It's about as far as you could throw me. I need a place to bring my skepticism. I need a place to bring my my, my hopelessness in the way that people lead, I need a direction that can go that is helpful for me. In the 23rd Psalm, David, later in his life, reflecting back on his years as king, reflects on, no, it, it was the Lord that was my shepherd all along. He uses this shepherd language, which would have been really intimate and really powerful for the ancient Near East customs and traditions that they found themselves in. A shepherd would have provided so much care for these sheep. They would have been helpless and hopeless without their shepherd. He's leading them in different places so that all of their provisions, all of their needs, all of their wants, all of their desires are met in where the shepherd would take them. They also don't have a lot of choice. They, they could maybe wander off and be the, be the one sheep who leaves the 99, the flock going in a different direction. But the safety was found in following after the shepherd. And so this imagery that David ties us into in this poem is not just incredibly helpful for understanding how sheep act. It's incredibly helpful in understanding how we need to behave in today's day and age. So starting in verse one, I'm just going to go through this, unpack all six verses for you this morning, give you some things to think about as we go. 
Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Notice as we go through this passage that David is using my and me language. It, it is, it's powerful and it's important that Jesus is the shepherd. Jesus is the king of all kings, sitting on his throne, reigning and ruling as King Jesus. He is the chief shepherd. When we hear that word shepherd, we should think guide, leader, sovereign, king. All of those things would work as well. So Jesus is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And that's important. But in this moment, what's most important is that he's my shepherd. He's your shepherd. There's an individualization that happens here that all of us need to grasp because all of us need to feel the weight of what it means to have King Jesus reigning and ruling for us as individuals. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or, or you could translate it differently like, what else could I want? I lack nothing is how other versions put it. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I don't have anything that I don't absolutely need. He's taking care of my provisions. He's taking care of where we're going. He's making sure I have all of the base level things for me to flourish as a human being. I lack nothing. In verse two, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. How many of y'all, you can just say, uh, just honestly this morning, you're thankful for one time the Lord just made you lie down. You know, you're just like, yep, I was trying to do my own thing. And then God's just like, no, 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 dumb, dumb. You just lay down right here. Okay, good night. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I love that it's plural in each sense. It's green pastures and still waters. There's this picture here, just even as you read it, doesn't it just kind of infuse peace into your soul? If I think about just sitting down in a green pasture, and I'm not even a sheep, I don't even eat grass, you know? But I just get this vision. I'm just like, man, I just, ah, sounds nice, doesn't it? He leads me beside still waters. See, a shepherd would have to be careful and tending to his flock that they didn't just stay in one place for too long. Sheep are, sheep are dumb enough that they'll actually continue to eat where they're going to the bathroom. And so you need to continue moving them. You need to continue directing them. They'll, they'll just eat out a grazing pasture of, of, of grass. And then they'll be like, well, now what do we do? And we just go to the next hillside is the obvious answer to go eat the grass over there. But the sheep won't do that. They will stay in one spot. And so Jesus, how many of y'all are thankful he is leading us through different seasons of life? He's bringing us at different times besides this still water. And when we want to linger, maybe when we want to stay, everything in my life feels so good right now, Lord. It's so easy. Things are comfortable. And God's like, and we're now going to venture this way. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He restores our soul. This picture is putting us back into wholeness as people, as individuals. He's infusing into our life everything that we need to live the abundant life with him. It's, it's speaking to this rift that exists between man and God. And when you are led by the shepherd, by different sets of still water, different green pastures, he's putting back that shalom peace into your heart that you were meant to live with from the beginning, but sin has fractured it all along. So as Jesus leads and as he guides, I think the first question that I have to ask for all of us to consider this morning as we wander into this psalm together is, do you trust that God is leading you into abundant life? And before you just gut reaction, yes, because we're in church. It's just, you know, hey, what's the answer, everybody? Jesus, right? You just, you're ready to go with that one on church on Sunday mornings. But what about on Tuesday evening? What about at the end of the month, like Katie was just referencing, when the bills are all due? What about those moments when the teenager's yelling at you in your house and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to reconcile things? Do you trust that God is leading you into an abundant life? See, because it says in Psalm 23 that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
this probably grates against us in some ways. Where I was like, well, didn't he lead us in paths of righteousness for my name's sake, for my own sake, for my good? No. You know whose glory God cares the most about? His own. God, God wants to be most, Hunger Games going down. I mean, uh, <laughs> if that's your ringtone, high five me after service because that was awesome. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his names. So are we going to come back from this? Are we going to recover? <laughs> we can just do another greeting time if we need to real quick. Just kind of clear it all out, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's awesome. If you think about Jesus leading me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, the reason that it's good that he desires glory for himself is because he is intrinsically good. He in himself, in his very nature, is good. And so for us to be led towards him into his goodness and for him to be glorified in our life is ultimately not just good for God, but it's good for us. If we glorify God, that is the most good thing for your soul. And so when God demands glory unto his own name, it's not just because he's some selfish snob who doesn't get enough attention up in heaven. No, he gets plenty of attention. All the attention is due to his name first and foremost. But as we surrender our life to him, get our eyes up onto him. And as we glorify him, in other words, as we praise him publicly, as we ascribe the worth that is due to his name, that's how you glorify something. As we do that, it is the most good thing for us. And I love that he leads us in paths of righteousness because let's be honest, you and I couldn't find the path of righteousness if you dropped a pin on it and gave it to us in Apple Maps. So I don't know if this, you know how this is how your phone works or not. I know for some of you, this is going to be like brand new information, but you can actually like, you can click somebody that you've been texting with, okay? You can click on their name. You can say share location and you get some various options that come up. 15 minutes because you don't really trust that person after much more than like the rest of the day. Maybe a whole hour. Maybe, maybe it's for the rest of the day. Maybe it's for the rest of time that you want to share your location with this person. And what that does is it gives you like a little pin on your map. Every time you pull it up, you can see who that person is. And I love like, it's not just enough for God to say, here's the path of righteousness, y'all go ahead. God has done that pretty plainly. He, in fact, he's written the law onto our hearts. So we actually, we actually know right from wrong. We actually know what the path of righteousness looks like. You know what, what the problem is? Is we choose not to follow it. We choose not to walk on the path of righteousness. See, like you can, you can call sin a struggle. You can call sin falling short of the glory of God. But what sin most accurately is, is it's, rebellion against the way God has wired the universe to work. And so as we rebel, we, we see the path of righteousness. We see, oh, like, let's just, I mean, 10 commandments. We do this all the time. Thou shalt not murder. And you're like, okay, I see that path right there. And you're like, well, awesome. I'm killing it. Nep well, pun intended there, I guess, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not doing that. And then Jesus, what does Jesus do? He ratchets it up tenfold. He says, even if you look at your brother with anger in your heart, you've committed murder. Right? I mean, Lust, coveting, what, like coveting is, is literally just an accusation that, that God did the wrong thing in giving your neighbors the stuff that you thought belonged to you. And yet in, in, in modern current America that we all live in, like coveting, it, it just feels normal because we just have commercials and we have news feeds on Instagram. We have all these different things that just show us everything that we don't have that other people do have. And that your life would really just be more complete if you just had this thing sitting in your hand for four easy payments of 19.99. You know, that's like, that's how our world works. And, and 
the problem is not identifying the path of righteousness. Praise God, the psalm doesn't say that God has shown us the path of righteousness. No, he leads us to the path of righteousness. He brings us with conviction and with clarity to say, no, this is the way that you ought to go. I know you keep looking at that, but we're going to come over this direction. I know you keep wanting that thing, but we're going to bring you over here into contentment. I know, you, I know you're getting angry over here, but I'm trying to bring you into peace. And so how, how grateful are you that he's leading me in paths of righteousness? Not just trying to point to it. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, I think his quote says, a true shepherd doesn't just point the way. A true shepherd shows the way. That's what Jesus is doing for us. He's leading us into the paths of righteousness. This is how we know that Jesus is a good leader for our souls. He is the good shepherd. I know I'd love probably more than any of you to take ribs at our name, you know, the Good Shepherd Church, but it's appropriate because he is the Good Shepherd. This is how John 10.10 reads, to show us kind of like juxtaposing thoughts in leadership in our lives. You have the thief that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But you have Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly or to the full. I am the Good Shepherd, Jesus says. See, the good shepherd, he, he lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, sees danger coming, sees the hard times coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. How do we know that Jesus is the good shepherd? Well, because at the, maybe one of the pinnacle moments of temptation to do his own thing, you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, the crushing place where Jesus has this moment where all of the weights of what's about to happen on the cross is starting to befall him. And, he, and he's starting to anguish in the garden. And at that moment, it would have been so easy to turn and do his own will. But what is his prayer? Lord, not my will be done, but yours alone. He says, if there's, if there's any other way out, I want out of it. And yet, not my will be done, O Lord, but yours. In that moment, Jesus proves and seals the fact that he is our good shepherd because he is laying his life down for the sake of his sheep, for the sake of you and me. This is echoed in Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk the psalmist writing, David writing, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. It's one of the greatest promises in all of scripture, friends, don't lose it, is that God promises to be with you and near to you even in the pit of hell in your life. Some of you, some of you it's like, man, we read past the verses of the still waters and the green pastures and you just go, where is that in my life? Where's that been? You, you feel like you're just trapped in a valley. And one of the greatest promises I think I could give you is not that the valley is going to end soon. It's that the shepherd is going to be with you. He promises a nearness with you in the middle of your adversity. He promises a proximity, a closeness to you, an intimacy with you that he's not going to forsake you in the pit that you're in right now. And so my, 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 my question for you is, can you, just, can you just press on a little further knowing that God is not going to forsake you or abandon you? He's brought you this far. He's not going to leave you now. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd back in the day would carry two things. He'd carry a rod and he'd carry a staff. The rod was to, like a club. 
to beat down wolves or to beat down any sort of predator that would try and come up on the sheep, right? That's kind of awesome, isn't it? Shepherds, like, I think we think of them as all gentle because we have kind of this picture of Jesus holding this sheep and it's all like warm and fuzzy, right? I think shepherds were like, they were bad dudes. They, I mean, they were out probably not talking with real clean language on the hillside and they carried big clubs. And if something came up on their sheep, they were beating it to death. They had a big club and they carried a big stick and they walked that walk is what I got to imagine, you know? They had a club, then they also had a rod and they had a staff. The staff would have the shepherd's hook on the end and that staff whether it had that hook or not, it would, it would direct the sheep. As they were going this way, as they were getting off wandering this way, the shepherd would go, no, 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 this way. And it wasn't a whack for correction. It was a gentle redirecting. How, how, like, I'm so grateful that God provides the Holy Spirit to give this gentle correction in my life. I'm wondering, no, 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 this way. I'm wandering over here. No, no, no. He keeps pointing my head in the right direction. This is the way we're going. This is the way to abundant life. This is the way to a flourishing life. This direction. And he's directing Notice the shepherd doesn't carry the rod to hit the sheep. He carries the rod to hit the enemies. He carries the staff to gently guide the sheep. That's important because some of you think of the shepherd, you think of God sitting up on his hill just waiting to smoke you as soon as you make a wrong decision. And that's not what it is. No, he's brought his staff to gently redirect you in the right direction. The rod he carries for the enemies in your life. How reassuring is that? You know how much I trust in my God? Well, my God's got a really big club in his hands. And so you want to mess with me, you're going to have to mess with him. You think like that? You pray like that? Do you walk like that? When you're walking and you've got enemies trying to tempt you in your life, knowing that God carries a big stick? Listen, I'll ask this question right here. What would you fear if you trusted God's protection? This, remember, this psalm comes all the way down to trust. It's a place for us to direct our skepticism to trust in the Lord. What would you actually fear if you trusted in God's protection in your life? What's the answer, church? Ain't nothing you would worry about. You would not be worried about the economic outlook of our country. You would not be worried about your, what your neighbor might do. You wouldn't be worried about what your kid might, you would not fear things because you know that God carries a big stick and he's, he knows how to use it. We would trust, we, we wouldn't have this timidity We'd have this confidence boosted into our systems if we just trusted in God's protection for us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't sound like a real pleasant place, does it? I won't fear any evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they provide this comfort to my soul. I don't walk with trepidation or fear. I walk with confidence. I walk knowing that my, my dad loves me and he carries a really big stick and I'm not afraid of anyone else. It goes on to say Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now the table really speaks to a few different things. It speaks to God's victory that he's provided and he's bought for us. But what I want to hone in primarily on is that it, it communicates God's hospitality. There, there is this adversity that used to exist between you and me and God until there has been peace that has been brought by the blood shed of Jesus Christ. We, it doesn't say that we were once bad and now we're good. It said we were once dead and now we're alive. In Ephesians chapter two, it says, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You were rebellious, strangers, aliens, foreigners in this land. You didn't belong here having no hope and without God in the world. And then what does it turn to in verse 13? It says, but now, in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, contextually, specifically, what Paul's writing about here in Ephesians is he's talking about the, the division that used to exist between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's saying, now there, where there once was two people, now the cross has brought us into one person. Praise God for that. But what it's also speaking to is the fact that in our sin, you and I, we were strangers, hostile in our thinking, foreigners to the concepts and the ways of God. But, but through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper or this other table that we have in the New Testament, it's, it's like David prophetically is referring to this table to come one day, where he's like, you're going to prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I have all these enemies around me that can't take anything away from me spiritually. You get that? There's no promise that, that, that Christ has given to you that the enemy can take from you. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ for those who believe is what the Bible says. And so as we come to the table, it's this act of hospitality that once where we were strangers, now we're friends. The invitation of the table is come and sit, beloved son, beloved daughter. Where we once were aliens and foreigners, we're now family. That's what God has done when he's prepared this table. My shepherd because of you, I don't lack anything. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. A table in ancient Near East customs was, was used to, to ratify or to, to, to commence a new covenant. So as we come and as we sit now, as we get, engage with God, not as, not as just some awesome, mighty being, even though he is that, he also invites us to this table where he says, sit down, friend, come and eat. Sit with me. Uh, there, there's not probably a better picture of God's hospitality than the thought of him preparing a table or a meal for us to come and sit and eat with him. You know, that's like, it is one of the most intimate parts of just your daily boring life is the time when you sit down and you sit and share a meal with people. I was telling some people this week, they were asking, hey, what do you usually get here? We were down at uh, Comet Chicken, praise the Lord. And um, they're like, what do you usually get? And I was like, well, I usually get something that um, I don't have to eat with my hands. Like I don't get a sandwich. It's a weird thing about me. Like I, I don't like to look like a messy moron in front of you when we're sitting down eating together. I'll get something I can eat with a fork, like a, like a human being, right? I'm not just like, like some animal, you know? I'll do that when we're really close friends. But that's how you know, that's how you know when there's intimacy. And it was like, yeah, bring the plate of ribs. I don't care. This is, this is gonna get gross and you're gonna be here for it. It's an intimate exchange, isn't it? There is an act of intimacy that's shown at the table there's also this act of hospitality to bring us in. I kind of mixed up my points there. But the second thing that we see in the table is this, this invitation into intimacy with God, where we get to just sit and be and eat with him. And he knows exactly who you are. Can I just reassure you with that this morning? He knows where you failed to live up to the expectations that you set for yourself this last week and you missed the mark. He, nobody's as hard as you, as hard on you as you are, by the way. And so all the failures that you're carrying with you into this building this morning, God says, hey, seen them, I know. Come, sit down, eat. It's actually what this meal is all about. It wasn't about your righteousness. You didn't earn this invitation. It was my grace that gave it to you. It was my son's blood that made peace so that you could come and sit here with me. So come, friend, come, daughter, come, son, sit down and eat. It's hospitality, it's intimacy.
the cup that he pours. Notice that. My, my cup runs over. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. It's also speaking to the fact that God, God is not stingy in how he treats us. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't pour out just to go like, okay, um, I don't want to be too hard on my wife's family because um, they usually sit right here, but they're out of town this morning. So um, <laughs> they have this weird thing about them where like when you have juice at their house, they give you like a quarter cup of juice. I'm like, whoa, that family size of Welch is like $4 at Walmart. Like, what are we doing? Fill that sucker up, you know? <laughs> now, why, are we, why are we stopping there? It's like, well, you watered down. I'm not watering this down. It's Welch's grape juice, the best thing I've ever drank in my entire life, right? <laughs> Tell me I'm lying. That's not, that's not wrong. That is totally true. That's not how God interacts with his children. He doesn't just pour out just, he does, he's not a God of just enough. He's a God of more than enough. You see this as we go on in Ephesians. I stopped at Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3. Paul keeps going. He says, This is also that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Not a dash, not a thimble, all the fullness of God, so that Christ may Oh, and then it says in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. God of just enough? No, no. God of far more abundantly, more than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is, this is the God that we serve. This is the shepherd that we trust in. Why give your trust? Why surrender your life to Jesus? Because he's trying to lead you into the flourishing life. Politicians can't offer that to you. Your parents can't offer that to you. Your pastor can't offer that to you. The best move that I have, the best move that you parents have, is that we just go, there's a shepherd that'll lead the way. And the more that we want to just fall after him, the better off we're all going to be. There is not a school board. There is not an employer. There is nobody that is going to have your best interest in mind like the good shepherd. And it ends in this way. Verse six. It says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. When we read this, when I first read it, maybe this isn't how you read it, but this is how maybe I just thought of it initially. When it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, I kind of think of like something that's just passively engaged behind me, you know, like uh, uh, maybe a kid on a trail. I'm, I'm always like, I'm sorry, I love my kids so much, but like, I'm always like, get up here with me. You ever feel that way when we're going, so I'm marching through a parking lot. I'm like, you best be walking where I can grab your hand in an instant if I need to. But they're always like 16 feet behind me. I'm like, yo, get up, up here. Let's go, you know? And so I think of this as like, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Like they're kind of like there, but they're not really there. Like, where, is my family with me right now? Like, where did they all go? They're in some different row of cars going up into Walmart. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on, get right here. Like, let's go. This word follows though, that's not what that means. It's not like it's just goodness and mercy just back there in your life somewhere. Goodness and mercy, it's, it's this active pursuit. It's like a bloodhound fresh on your trail. Like it is this engaged, ferocious, active word that is like, man, goodness and mercy are chasing me down right now. How many of y'all, at some point this week, you sinned and you forgot that goodness and mercy is what chasing, is chasing you, not the wrath of God that's chasing you? God's goodness, his kindness, his mercy are close behind wherever you go in this life. 
They are following right behind you. The best that you can do is turn and acknowledge it. Goodness and mercy just keep following me every day of my life. So if I make a mistake, I turn. God's goodness and mercy, it's, it's not six rows back. It's right here. Goodness and mercy, right, oh, right, right there. It's like right behind you, following after you. You will get so bent out of shape if you keep viewing God as like this distantly, not really wanting to be engaged in your life, especially when you make mistakes. But while you're going down this path of life, no matter where it is you go, goodness and mercy are following you. His goodness and mercy are right behind you. His goodness that wants to see you through to the finish line to everlasting life. His mercy that just wants to keep on telling you, it wasn't your, it wasn't your job that, that earned you this in your life anyways. It was my mercy. It was my grace. It was my kindness that just gave you this spiritual credit to your bank account. That is who is following after you. And for those of you that are exhausted and you're weary at the race of life, there is no greater promise than at the end of Psalm 23. And it's where all of our gaze should ultimately be fixed. Is that ultimately where I'm going is I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there may be pain right now real pain in your life. There might be real strife in some relationships in your life right now. And I can give you no better promise than just to say, surely goodness and mercy will keep following you. And if you can't feel that, and if you can't believe that this morning, then believe this, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. That's the promise. And so the last point here that you can write down if you want to is we keep trusting that our shepherd is leading us where nobody else can take us. You, know, you want to know the answer, church, for the cynicism and skepticism of our day is surrendering your trust wholeheartedly to the Lord. I'm not going to trust the politicians to make everything better. Best they can do is make some things barely right for a little bit until somebody else comes in and votes a different way and changes it all. I'm not going to, I'm not going to voluntarily put all my trust in my money. That can be here, to, here today, gone tomorrow. Even if I'm the wise man who leaves an inheritance to my children's children, I can't guarantee that those knuckleheads two generations back are going to take care of any money at all. <laughs> That's real. What am I going to put my trust in? All, all of this stuff, we start looking around. You look to any human leader. You look to any human system. Nothing can hold you. Nothing is certain. Nothing is permanent except for the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the rock on which the storms of life may come. But if I've put myself here, if I've put my weight down here, if I put my trust down on Jesus, come what may, he has goodness and mercy for me. And he has a house that he's preparing for me. And I'm going to dwell in that thing forever. So where's your trust? Where's your trust? See, because as we end this sermon today, here's the response time that I just want to invite you into with the Holy Spirit personally. Just a simple prayer. Lord, where do I lack trust and submission to your leadership in my life? Where do I lack it? Newsflash, we've all, we've all got a pocket somewhere that we haven't really fully surrendered to the Lord yet. I don't know what it is. And so rather than me just try and like preach at you for the rest of the day until we just sort of like find that example that works and stings for your heart for just a sec, why don't we just do this? Search me, oh God. Know my heart. See if there's any anxious way in me and lead me in the path ever, everlasting. So for just two minutes, Maybe this isn't like your speed necessarily. Just give me, give me two minutes and don't even give it to me. Like just say, God, here I am. Search me. To the Lord, where do I lack the trust and submission to follow your leadership in my life? Holy Spirit, come. If you guys go ahead and stand and if you're on the prayer team, I'd actually like for you to just make your way forward right now. Our prayer team's up here every single week. 
Really, they would just love to pray over you, encourage you, see you in whatever it is that's going on. Maybe you have something where you're just going, man, this is really, it's really testing my trust in God right now. Maybe there's just something else that's going on in your life and you just need someone to process with, to talk to, to get prayer for. I would, I would invite you to come see my friends up here on the front row. They'd love to pray for you this morning. I'm gonna pray and then uh, we'll dismiss. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that would you just continue as we go throughout our week? Would you just help us find those areas of our hearts where we're maybe lacking some trust in you? And maybe the way we're gonna identify that trust, God, is by looking at some of the places where we get afraid. Maybe we'll look at some of the places we get angry. We are going to uh, ask, God, that you would just continue to lead us and guide us all the days of our life. God, lead through the pain and lead through the sweet seasons. We just ask that we would wholly and fully trust you no matter where we're at in life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 